This is episode 124 of Parenting with the Focused Mindset. Today, you get to listen in on a powerful conversation that I had with Dr. Brett Saromsky. He is a professor at Ohio State University, as well as the co-chair and the co-founder of the Evidence-Based School Counselor Conference. On top of that, he travels all over the United States and speaks to educators like myself, motivating them to be able to work with kids and see them as individuals. There are so many great nuggets in this conversation that I'm breaking it up into two podcasts. So this is the part one. And in this first part, we're going to talk about the subject of motivation and hope. And you're going to learn real fast why I knew that Brett was perfect to be a guest on this show. He might be the one person that believes in the power of hope in each individual child, maybe a little bit more than I do. And that is saying a lot. And I'll tell you what, as you listen, you might be inspired to brush up on your communication skills with your kids. Make sure you're sharp. Make sure you're able to see them for who they are and really listen. If you are, don't hesitate to jump over to my website, thefocusedmindset.com, and check out my mini course, Conversations That Empower. I am going to walk you through the solution-focused steps that you need to be able to grow brand new skills to communicate with not only your children, but everyone in your family. That's over at my website, thefocusedmindset.com, or I will leave a link in the show notes that you can just click on right there. And if you haven't already, I'd love for you to join the Focused Mindset community. Every week we dive deep into what it means to be a solution-focused person in this world outside of therapy. How can we approach our life in a solution-focused manner. Well, being a part of my email community means that I send you a little extra. I send you my blogs early, my discounts when I have them, my insights, sometimes just uh, little personal messages from me. And you have a little bit uh, easier way to get a hold of me as well, because as you can imagine, when you're part of the community, you're kind of on the inside. Many of you have walked with me on this journey as this podcast grows, as my company grows, as my coaching business expands, and I just want to be able to thank you. And one way I do that is by what I send out to my Focused Mindset community. So check out the link in my show notes or go to my website and click on the button that says join the community. All right, so let's listen in on this super duper cool episode with Brett. Welcome to Parenting with the Focused Mindset. I'm your host, Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. I know that raising kids is quite the journey and doesn't always turn out as we planned. Here, we talk about the solution-focused approach. We learn how to celebrate when things are going well and how to deal with the many challenges that families face. Don't forget to hit subscribe, download, follow so you don't miss any of the family-oriented, solution-focused content that I put out for you right here each and every week. Listening to this podcast will help you be the best version of yourself in your home and with the people you love. 
Hello, welcome to the podcast today. We have a really great guest. We have Brett Gronsky, and he is a PhD and has so much experience in data and research and working with kids. I am so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us, Brett. I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into everything. Sure. Uh, this is my 15th year as a school counselor educator. So I've been, before that, I was an elementary school counselor and did a little bit at the middle school level. Um, and my undergrad was in teaching and, uh, I, I have a family of teachers. So I, I feel like I have education in like the DNA. I had no choice to become an educator. Um, so I, I love this work. It's kind of legacy work, um, from my family. My mom was a first grade teacher. My aunt was a, uh, PE teacher. My uncle is in uh, Michigan Hall of Fame for middle school principals. Grandma was a teacher. Great grandma was a teacher. You know, it just education is is in the blood. Did you ever go through a time when your childhood where you were like, I will not be a teacher, like something like uh, that? Absolutely, because because <laughs> I was. Um, we were, you know, we every single morning we got up. Uh, and this is near Santa Rosa, California, in Sebastopol, and we would make like breakfast for my mom's class of first graders and that and even helping out in her class from when I was like in fourth grade, so like when I was 10. And so I always want, and then Top Gun came out. So I thought, oh, I was gonna boy. Be like, yeah, I was going to be a pilot, you know, like, a, um, and then I learned I got air sick. So that didn't happen somehow. <laughs> but there was definitely a long period of time until college that I didn't even consider um, education. And then in college, it was like, oh, this is something that I really like. I really enjoy. It's funny how we always come back around to what's going to make us, uh, when we're searching it, we always come back around. My daughter had a similar experience. She'd be with me and she's like, I am not going to be a, a teacher or a counselor or anything. And people would tell her she has gifts in that area. And um, then she went to a college visit in uh, Nevada. And she, one of the places they went was the education department. And she came back and said, Mom, I know you're going to say I told you so, but I really like education. <laughs> That's basically what happened for me, too. Yeah. So here she is, a teacher. Yep. But like, all right. We have a way to feel like you're saying Yeah. Welcome to the family. Like Exactly. That's very funny. But, um, but well, I'm glad you circled back because you've actually uh, ventured into some different things, though, that interests me so much because the way that you and I met, you were doing a training for all of our counselors at our very large district over here in Norco and um, Corona. And, um, and we primarily were talking a lot about data, but I found by listening to you that you also have just a deep desire to actually help the kids. How did you come to that passion and how did you get to what you're doing now? And then also tell everyone what you're doing now. Well, that's a really good. I have no idea what I'm doing now. So that's a great question. <laughs> I'm just winging it as I go. <laughs> no. So, I mean, I think that what you're, what you're describing is, is the data piece, which is, it is a, a passion of mine only because what we talk about is every single piece of data represents a kid's life. And so if there's a, a piece of data that illustrates an opportunity gap or somebody that's struggling, that's a door to walk through to figure out what's really going on with that kid. And I think um, for whatever reason, as adults, we kind of forget what it was like being a kid and we forget how we felt in middle school or how we felt uh, in fifth grade or fourth grade and, and how um, life 
you know, the ecology of our lives really are the things that are controlling us as kids. And, and I think as adults, somehow we ascribe adult characteristics to kids a lot more often than might be helpful. And um, even when I was working as a school counselor, I was working in Durham, North Carolina, and I was working in a Title I school, and a lot of my students were getting um, diagnosed, or at least the projection was that they were obsessional defiant. And so I think that was where my whole idea around root cause analysis or what's really going on came from, because when I was working with my kids, they weren't obsessional defiant, they were traumatized. And and so that was also the really what pushed me to go back for my PhD was how do I help kids who are traumatized on so many different levels by their ecology, and yet we're asking them to, you know, learn uh, math and reading when when they're not able to, you know, have the resources to even function and eat and, and have what they need to uh, be safe every single yeah. day. Yeah, I think that it's so interesting that, you know, as you're working a counselor, basically you saw a discrepancy because um, I'll tell you, data gets a bad rap. You know, even parents, I know my child better than anyone else. Why do I need to look at any numbers to understand? And that's And that's valid. You're somehow able to, and this is what you did for me, you were able to help uh, data become more human almost. And I wonder if you could tell me more about how you began to see the importance of us finding the right data and what to look for to be able to help a child with what their real problem is. Yeah, you bet. There's, I mean, I think it's a journey I've been on as well. Obviously, I think we're all on kind of this journey of how do we help kids in the most effective, most efficient way. And I, th- I think one of the things that you mentioned actually was, are we looking at the right data? Uh, maybe not in that phrase, but that's kind of what you were talking about. And I mean, one of the most exciting things about hope, and I know we're going to talk about hope a little bit more, but, but hope is a, you can assess hope. It's six items for, for children. It's just six. And you, for, for parents there, you can assess at home and there's adult hope uh, assessments and, and hope's a better predictor of post-secondary success than ACT, SAT, or GPA scores. So are we measuring the things that actually predict future success? That's a question I think that educators uh, should be required to ask of themselves every day because the state is measuring math and reading scores or science. Um, we have international math scores, and those are the things that we are using as if that is a measure of success. And I'm not sure that it actually is a very accurate measure of life success. And so we talk about like the relationship between education and future life success. That should be something that we talk about all the time, I would think, in K-12 education. Like, why are we doing uh, education the way we're doing it? What's the outcome we're hoping to achieve? And how do we know how we're gaining that outcome? And right now, the outcome tends to be if every single student scores at this particular level at this particular test, then we achieve what we want to achieve. And I think that's more of a political outcome than an actual life outcome. I don't think that, and I think economist research backs me up. There's a, a, a Nobel laureate economist that, that uh, whose research said that um, if you were going to assess uh, either cognitive or, or SAT scores, what was it, SAT scores, I can get the actual High stakes testing scores. So it's high stakes testing scores. Um, non-cognitives were a better predictor of future earning level than test scores. And so if we kind of do backwards design, it's like, what are we hoping that we, our students are able to do? So are they able to be contributing members of society? Are they able to earn enough money to support their families? Are they able to, like, what is it that we're actually wanting? 
And I think that there may be a hidden agenda. Like, are we wanting people who can work in factories? Are we wanting people who can, like, so do we really want everybody to have the success that we say we do? I'm not sure that is actually true. Um, I agree. And I think that what's, what ends up happening, we have a divide between the parents wanting what's best for the child and what the schools want what's best for the child. And no one is able to come to terms with what does this child actually need to be successful? And that, that that's exactly right. And data gets stuck in there with all of that. Oh, well, we've looked at all the research and the data, and it shows that these scores need to go up to this point in order for X and Y. Then I got an email recently, actually, just before our testing time from a parent that, you know, it was a slight rant. I realized this. Why are we giving them the test at all? And I can see from his point of view, it was like, why are we stressing them out and giving them a standardized test at all? There are other important things that we can look at in a child's life, like you mentioned hope, like their resilience, like their level of regular life skills. Those are all measurable as well. It's kind of mind blowing to think about it. How did you, I know you talked to us about that, but talk to, talk to my audience about that. It's a little interesting. <laughs> Sure. And I think that, you know, we talked about um, my favorite resources for this is Dr. Chan Hellman. Uh, and Casey, oh, yeah. You know, their book, it's called Hope Rising. Uh, it's available on Amazon. It's really great uh, resource because it has all of the research around it. It has instruments that people can use. It's, there's uh, sections on hope and spirituality, hope in the workplace, hope in, um, in academics. How hope buffers trauma, uh, hope buffers, um, adverse child experiences. So I think, you know, for hope, hope in education seems to be like a recent phenomenon, like cat, you know, getting more momentum. But I know in 2000, I think it was 2008, I was working at Southern Illinois University and, and we were hiring a, a new faculty member and her name was Dr. Muthoni Kamemia. And Dr. Kamemia's dissertation uh, was in Kenya. So she's Kenyan. She was in, in Kenya doing her dissertation. Her dissertation was a qualitative study about how do caretakers of people who have HIV or AIDS kind of function every single day. Because the caretakers in, in Kenya, the, the um, someone who has HIV or AIDS is, is often living with someone else. And there may be multiple people living in the same home. And so you may, if you have multiple people living in the same home or if you have, you know, someone is taking care of you, you know, for that person that's taking care of someone who may have a terminal illness or an illness that's going to be life changing, you know, what are the, the characteristics that help them just keep going every single day? And on top of that, the caretaker often had HIV. And so having their own diagnosis, their own medical struggles, like what is it that, that they're able to continue persisting? Where does that resilience come from? How do they manage all these things? And she said that one of the things that she did not look for at all, but it came out as the number one factor was hope. Mm-hmm. And so that to me was the first time that I really encountered hope as like an, a construct, something that you could measure, something that you could like, you know, put your hands on, you could build it, uh, you could increase it in people, you could um, assess it. And in that since that time, you know, since 15 years since then, almost, um, it's kind of started to trickle into education. The Gallup poll measures it. Uh, I know Gallup poll is expensive, but a lot of school districts do use the Gallup poll. Gallup poll for, for parents who aren't familiar with it. Gallup is a company that does polls on all sorts of things. So you, you can look at their website and get all sorts of data. And so Gallup research is actually the research that established hope being a better predictor of post-secondary success than ACT, SAT, or GPA. Um, 
And hope can be measured because the way that these authors define it, it's the belief that your future can be better and brighter and that you have a role to play in that. Uh, and, and so it's, there's like two parts to it and I'll, I'll, uh, look to make sure that I'm saying the parts exactly correct. But there's this idea of both willpower and waypower is kind of how they phrase it. Willpower and waypower, but it's basically agency and pathways. Uh, so one of the, I was just the other day giving, um, a keynote to the Ohio PTA and I was telling the story and the story got a lot of laughs out of the, the, uh, the audience, because the story was when I was growing up, I wanted to be a football player. And as soon as I said that, like everybody laughed and I was just unsure why they would laugh at me wanting to be a, a professional football player, but they laughed. And, um, but the, the key thing was to become a professional football player, I need to have both agency and a pathway. I had no pathway because my mom wouldn't even let me play flag football. So I had no way of becoming an NFL player because I had no, no access um, to that pathway. And so when we think about like when our kids are experiencing the trauma of the pandemic or they're experiencing adverse child experiences or social determinants of health, they're living in food deserts, they're not accessing health care. You know, there's, um, you know, multiple uh, ecological oppressive systems. There's mental health issues in the home. They're, they're struggling with all these, you know, what kind of pathways do our kids see? You know, and so what level of hope can they actually have? And so if you, you're thinking about uh, a series of steps, if you're looking at thinking about increasing hope, then we have to, to help people see that they not only have the pathways, but they have the ability. And so we can invest in, in, uh, in people's agency as well as creating pathways for them. So that's and kind of the story of hope. Sorry. No, I think I'm, I'm loving this so much. I mean, the belief that you can't, that your future can be brighter. And that you have a say in it. I mean, it, how simple can it be when we think of any single thing in our life? I mean, it's practical, right? Because I was sitting even th- when you first said, I'm like, you can put that in, uh, you can plug that in to almost everything we've been successful in life. And we needed to be able to believe that something could be brighter and better and that we had a say in it. And I think that um that gets really mixed up when we're focusing so much on their math grades and their language grades or the, maybe the family's never done it why do you think you can do it if they don't you know if they can't see and visualize a path how are they possibly going to get there so being a solution focused specialist mm-hmm. i want people to be able to see and visualize that vision of their future that vision of their best self and then help them with a pathway there is how can we help them build not only a pathway, but also agency? I think that, that, well, I would probably argue that kids come into schools with creativity and agency, and then, you know, the ecology or the environment beats it out of them. <laughs> uh, so uh, oftentimes, I think by the time we, our kids get to middle school, their creativity has been we've been trying to douse it. There's another great researcher. Um, I think I have this book down here. Yeah. Um, you can Google, he's got a, a amazing, his name is Young Zhao. Yeah, he is fantastic. One of my, my favorite, uh, kind of educational heroes. His book, this most recent book is called Counting What Counts, um, which we're talking about today. But, um, but Young Zhao, I mean, he, he talks about creativity and entrepreneurship as one of the major contributors to success in the United States and how, 
um, a lot of times educational systems is one of the main goals is conformity. And so you drive that creativity and entrepreneurship out of the students. Not all school districts do this and not all schools do this. Uh, in particular, um, Montessori schools and private schools encourage creativity and, and those types of things. But a lot of public schools, depending on the leadership, will be quite happy to just conform, conform, conform and drive that creativity right out. Uh, and so I think when you're talking about agency, I don't, I think that students can come into kindergarten and first grade and learn agency as they're building, solving puzzles, and they're doing all sorts of fun and creative things. And I think it's later on that we start to take away that agency. So Um, it's basically being able to tap into what we see as their natural creative and amazing abilities. If those, you know, if their natural abilities are in math, building that up is going to strengthen them towards their path, their best pathway of success in life. And so I think that it's a little bit of a mindset shift to say, yes, we need to focus on that. We need to work within the realms of the, I guess, provisions of where we're working. But also we need to open our mind to say, is our child hopeful? Do they see a pathway to their best future? And if they're not hopeful, how can they succeed? You know, that's that, yeah. that that's something we have to keep in mind. No, I think and, and hope you know, plays out every single day. We're talking about it in a big way, but I mean, hope's around goal setting. So the solution focus, I mean, solution focus is an ideal approach to build hope. Uh, goal setting increases hope, especially if you're like articulating all the different pieces of the goals and goals can be small. It can be daily goals and also be bigger goals. But I think the authors, um, Dr. Hellman and Casey Gwynn, they describe um, the agency part as, as the mental energy to begin and then the capacity to sustain that journey. And so you mentioned resilience earlier on. And so I think that resiliency comes into it, but it, so it comes down to that willpower, but nobody does it on their own. And so when we think of agency and willpower, it's, it's actually not an individualistic kind of thing. It, when we think about, you had mentioned accomplishing so many different things in our life and looking at how hope played a part in that. Well, if you wanted to, 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 unpack that, you would say, who are the cheerleaders that played a part in that? Who are the people in my life that invested in me? Who are the people in my life that convinced me that I could do it when I didn't believe it? And that's your agency people. Those are your agency cheerleaders. And so that are the people that kind of fill up your gas tank when you're empty. And so agency, um, again, as authors describe it, it can be drained. It's like you fill yourself up and then it can be drained out. And so who's helping to refill that along this path? That's going to be hard, you know, if it's a long-term goal. Well, I think that it's it's sometimes we will focus on the individual. The child knows what they need to be doing or we put the ball in their court. And I think this is a really beautiful way for uh, not for adults that are working with kids in general to know how they can come alongside a child because um, because their role is extremely important to be a cheerleader and to cheerlead in a type of way that's going to truly uh, produce results is not only an amazing quality, it's a skill really. And it's something that can be learned. And, um, and I think that it's about time that we do say, Hey, I can learn a new skill. I can learn how to come alongside my child and build hope. First of all, identify a place where they might be lacking hope and then cheerlead into their life to build that hope. What a great foundation that Brett lays out as we talk about how creativity is something that our kids are born with 
And it can be squashed right out, like he said, through the conformity of what the school system or what our society or what our world says that our kids need in order to succeed. Have you fallen into worrying so much about grades and so much about uh, success as far as what they know and forgot about encouraging your children and cheerleading for them and noticing all of the things that they're born with, all the creativity inside them that's going to truly motivate them to succeed, truly motivate them to know that they can grow into the adult that they were meant to be. It is our job as parents because this world will try and squash out. Even the best educators and the best teachers will sometimes, because they're working within the confounds, like I'd said in this interview of the school that they're working in, at times the kid is going to feel stifled. Can we come alongside and be our kid's best cheerleader? I believe we absolutely can. In the part B to this interview, you are going to see step-by-step how you could find out if your kid has hope or if your kid is losing hope and falling into a place where they don't see a path to success. This can happen without us even knowing it. And we're going to go through the steps, the four steps for us to know. We are also going to talk about what's called the hope scale more and true goals and how kids can set goals in order to build hope. Next episode is wonderful, and I'll see you guys there. For now, we're going to wrap this up. Don't forget to check out the show notes. I am leaving you a special link for conversations that empower. Like I said, I want you guys to build those communication skills so your kids always feel 100% comfortable talking to you about all the important subjects that go on up inside their mind, about their dreams, about their goals, about the things they want to accomplish. And I'm going to give you guys special access to the Children's Hope Scale. Brett gave me permission to share it on my website. If you hop over to thefocusedmindset.com, you're going to see the first button right below, uh, right by my, I guess my face. (laughs) You will see a button and it is going to give you access to the entire Hope Scale that we spoke a little bit about in this episode, a lot more in the next episode. Thank you for joining us. I'll see you in the next episode when we dive even deeper into how to build hope in our children's life. And until next time, keep in touch and take care.